Again, welcome, welcome. So uh, this is, uh, I think, about the third talk in this series called the Continua, Continua of Practice. And I think it's a very uh, important series uh, because uh, it lays out uh, in a very visual and organized way what the entire spiritual practice is. And for those of you who uh, picked up one of those uh, uh, scales that show the continuum of practice, it's very simple. It's just a line with a little bit of markers on the line to denote uh, certain common events that every continua has, continuum has. And uh, it, it depicts a journey. The journey uh, in visual and imagery is often uh, recorded in mythologies, in myths, but it can also be drawn on a scale. And I'm just for simplicity uh, and conciseness, that's what I've done. Now, uh, I'm hoping that people are following this series with my book, Awakening. And if you are, the chapter we are about to talk about is chapter five. So it's helpful to listen to the talk perhaps and then read the chapter or vice versa. <clears throat> Now why, you see, any time you draw a line, you have the mind's interpretation of what that means. And this particular scale to an, a mind that is used to looking at uh, the representation of scales as going from one place to another, sees that and says, oh, so this is a journey uh, that I'm on, called the spiritual journey, in which I'm going from one place to another. <clears throat> and in fact, that's what it represents to many people. And that's important because uh, you, our brains are organized in a certain way to respond to whatever it sees in a very clear uh, description of events. And so to say that the journey isn't really a journey is, is, it sounds deep and mysterious, but to a mind that's organized in a certain way of looking, it, it's nonsense. It's nonsense. The point of the journey is that you call it a journey until you realize it's not. And you don't hear a teacher say that it's not and then you represent it as not until you know it's not. Okay? So let me because it's very important that we live within our own understanding, that we don't try to live two steps ahead of ourselves, and we don't listen to Dharma talks by uh, awakened teachers who we consider awakened teachers and then use that language for our own development. We are stuck looking at life in a certain way, a certain manifestation, the way it's meaningful to us. The only thing I would suggest is that within the way that we interpret life, that we hold a big question mark. This is how I see it. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's the way it is. 
And that's the only openness that's really required in making this journey from the left side to the right side. Now, again, so we have to use left-sided imagery and left-sided uh, markers in order to understand the journey that goes to, from the left side to the right side. At a certain place on that continuum, you realize that the journey was never a journey away from yourself. It was a deep journey into the now of the moment. And the now you were never separate from. So in that way, it sort of turns on itself. And you begin to realize that the whole thing was a metaphor. And that you have fallen down into the rabbit hole of that metaphor. Okay? So what's important, though, is that I'm going to be talking about these continua from the left side to the right side. I'm not going to try to bring right-sided language into left-sided, uh, to the left-sided uh, description. So tonight, uh, the journey that we are going to be assuming is the journey from adaptation to surrender. Now, before I, I start that one, uh, I want to just talk about the different ways that these continuum continua are depicted. Uh, for some, I talk about the continua as a shift in energetic centers. That's one way to describe a continuum, the continuum, is that you move from, say, the mind to the heart. Those are energetic centers. That's a shift in where uh, our focus lies. So it starts in the mind, and almost everyone, because we start on the left side of the continuum, starts up here, thinking and rationalizing and emoting and, and bringing the logic that we bear upon life into our spiritual journey. Okay, so that's one continuum that, uh, that I will be talking about if I haven't spoken about it already. Another way to depict a continuum are the qualities that arise as you move from the left side to the right side. For instance, you could say from contraction, that's a quality to love. It's another quality. So that a continuum can be described as the qualities that begin to manifest as the journey from the left side moves to the right side. So we can all feel, perhaps if we've been sitting for a while, that we used to be very uh, self-contained, very isolated, uh, very hard-pressed and, and uh, condensed in ourself. And then after a while, perhaps the sense of space begins to infiltrate our minds and we begin to feel more accommodating, more open, more available. And so that's the journey. That's the way, one way to depict the journey from the left side to the right side. So already we've had uh, as I mentioned, we can talk about the organ, the energetic centers. We can talk about the quality that shifts in this. We can also talk about the shift of perception that occurs. For instance, I could talk about from separation, left side, to non-separation. That's a shift in perception that actually occurs within everyone's spiritual journey as do all the other continuums, continua that I've talked about. 
So this sense of separation we started out with, that's how we depict life. You're there, I'm here. I see things separate from myself. Now the important thing again is that if we hold on to that as the truth, we're never going to disprove the truth because we're going to keep defaulting to the truth whenever an experience arises. And many of the experiences that arises as we make this journey are journeys that show us that what we have held to be true is false. And unless we're open enough to begin to release our old beliefs and to become under the sway of the new transforming insights that carry us to the right side of the journey, we will just keep rehashing back all of everything we've seen back into the left side solidity of separation. So again, it's very important just to say, okay, I'm open to this. I don't know if life is like that. He says that. I've read it in some mystical books. I have no idea, but I'm willing to go and see for myself. That's what's required. Not a firm position on either end of the continuum. Now, tonight, we're talking about a different kind of continuum. And we'll be talking about all these forms of continuum, continua. This is a hard word for me. <laughs> Over the course of this series. Now, this is about the mental responses that change as we make the journey, as our spiritual journey moves from the left side. We start the mental responses, the way that we work internally, starts out very adaptively. Okay? That's adaptation. And it moves through a whole series of events to become less calculating, less logical, less rational, less self-assured. <clears throat> until the ground, you might say, falls out from under us and we are left in a kind of uh, ambiguity to the known. That ambiguity to the known is not fear, it's the way the universe actually looks and is in relationship to a, fully, uh, a full journey exploration. So that's the continuum that I will be speaking about this evening. And I want to start, as I mentioned, very firmly on the left side of what adaptation looks like to most of us. And then we'll start moving it to the right. Along the way, we'll talk about uh, the counter influences where we are being challenged that if we want to proceed, we have to change the way we view ourselves in relationship to the journey, and the false nirvanas that seem to indicate that the journey has come to the end when actually it could be just a, a rush of an unexpected emotion that we have taken to be sudden and completely surprising. So ad, adapt, adaptation. Now it's not hard for us to look out upon the world and see that the human being is a very adaptive species. Extraordinarily adaptive, actually. In fact, we'll find human beings living 
in the Antarctic and we find the human beings living in deserts. And somehow both of those human beings call the place where they reside as extreme as those differences are, they call it home. And home is what we have learned something, what we have get used to. Home is where we are most comfortable. But it's not the necessarily the most pleasant. I mean, either the desert or the ice cap can't be all that pleasant. But it's what we're used to. What we're used to is where we are most comfortable. And you take somebody off their, their out of their igloo, or separate them from their camel, or whatever it might be, you get a lot of vengeance, of anger, because they get upset because they're being asked to readapt. And that change, that readaption, is wars are fought in order not to have to readapt. Now, all of us on the spiritual journey have to readapt. That's the nature of the spiritual journey is that it's a continual call for readaptation. We can't take away the way, what we have seen and solidify around us and exclaim or proclaim that to be the truth. Because as soon as you do, you have set up a boundary that will be challenged by circumstances that will force you to release those boundaries and move on in a new adaptive way. The art of spirituality is to stay fluid, to stay malleable, flexible, so that circumstances are always accommodated, so that we're always mean. We have no sure home. If home means a certain set of circumstances for us, a certain environment, the spiritual journey is misplacing our home again and again. It's pulling the rug out from where it is that we've settled, where it is that we have landed and proclaim ourselves as being at home. And that's a hard lesson for people to learn. What actually happens more often on the left side is that people burrow down and find a new spiritual home that have a lot of the ingredients that their physical home may not have, like being quiet, or being calm, or peaceful, or not stressful, or their lives in general. And they find a new life, a new home life, now called spiritual life, which they are very resistant to moving or being malleable to as the journey proceeds. And this then becomes kind of a treachery very early on in our spiritual journey as we begin to want and depend upon the qualities of our meditation to establish a spiritual home that we so love and so are so enamored with that we refuse to move beyond, that we refuse, refuse to move into the very sense of flexibility and malleability that is the spiritual home. The spiritual home can be described as being flexible, not being around certain qualities, but being flexible between qualities and among and through qualities. 
So adaptation is an extraordinarily important component of the early part of the journey. As we begin to settle and find ourselves comfortably within ourselves, longing for this factors of mind that we used to live with in our spiritual journey, the calmness, the quiet, the serenity, when we start looking, where we start trying to find those old spiritual experiences, when we try to uncover those previous insights that we've had, we know that we are actually frozen within our spiritual journey and not moving at all in either direction, but frozen within our place. So adaptation is a very, very important component of one's practice to understand deeply and to see how it betrays us as well as, as, well as allows us to move forward. Now, <clears throat> there is Dharma adaptation as well. Uh, now, Dharma adaptation is when you've gotten used to your certain uh, internal processes, right? So that, you know, you've become comfortable with yourself. Uh, you've started having more self-love. Uh, you have, you're at ease with your self-concept. You have your attitudes, but you can adjust your attitudes and adapt to them if you find them problematic. You can, you know, you, you have an inward life with all of the different attitudes and concepts and ideas and etc that are going on within you and you also have learned how to kind of work with them if they become difficult so if I have a difficult attitude I can make some adjustments I can look at the thoughts I'm having that assert that attitude and I can just practice hearing those thoughts rather than believing in them or I can feel the emotion of the effects of those attitudes and just not identify with them and I can tone down a certain volume of a certain kind of thought and, uh, and uh, force a different kind of thought back into my system which increases a lightliness, lightness of, of attitude and disposition or I can look outside of myself and have, give myself a Dharma talk about look you know it's a hot day you don't have any air conditioning. You know, you're just going to have to relax with this. If you relax with it, it'll be easier for you. And the whole thing will be much more uh, settled. You'll be much more settled about the events if you just, uh, you know, so practice uh, calm and quiet and serenity and relaxation. And we get very astute at being able to sort of tune the dials of our inward life so that we become adjusted to the external situations. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But it's really behavior modification. Right? We're trying, we're, we're not really allowing things to be the way they are. We're internally changing the dials of our tones and dispositions so that we can kind of match what we think is happening to us with our ability to concede or to acquire, allow whatever it is outside to be acceptable to us. 
Right? Again, all of us go through that phase. It's a phase of the journey that most of us move along, but it's not the end phase. And we can get so wonderfully adept at being able to do this, adept at being able to do this, that we really think that we've conquered the mind. Now, I had a time in my practice when I thought I would never suffer again. And I was in uh, Thailand, and I thought, you know, I was in the jungles of Thailand. Nothing there, a few poisonous snakes and scorpions and centipedes, and, uh, but nothing really that was that bad or scary. And uh, I couldn't speak Thai, so I didn't have to really converse with anyone. And I thought, you know, this is, this is about as good as it will be. Maybe I'm free of suffering. Maybe I have landed in nirvana. False nirvana as it be, I really assumed it was getting close to the real thing, if not the real thing in itself. So then I had a ticket. Somebody gave me a ticket to have, I had to uh, renew my visa. I had to go to Bangkok. I had to get on the train. And uh, I had the lowest class, I don't know whether the fourth class or so they'd give you like a a board to sit on basically. <laughs> and I don't remember how many hours, like seven or eight hours, maybe ten hours of, and uh, you know, people all around chatting and just, you know, just and I knew I hadn't <laughs> I hadn't bypassed suffering. I, I bypassed it, but I hadn't really... I, I was still in the state of resistance. Uh, so it can fool you. It can fool all of us. And I got very good at being able to tune my inward system so that nothing would ever seem to betray me too much. But anytime you're working the knobs of your own internal life, you see, something's off. First of all, you know, you're still in place in control, aren't you? And it's still your systematic manipulation of your mind that is allowing you to have the beneficial results of being a little easier with yourself or others. And if you look at that, you begin to see that, you know, you're really... Um, you're really dependent upon circumstances. That if these circumstances vary too far, you throw your dials off and are left with the massive overload of being on a train going to Bangkok. And you begin to sense that there's more to this journey than you know the ability to think positively. Now that, I say that because Probably uh, the majority of teaching in any spiritual tradition labors upon the point of working internally so that you aren't upset with external events. Right? So it's not that that's wrong, and I don't mean that any part of the journey is wrong when we are looking at this scale. No part of the journey is wrong. But the question is whether it's a complete journey, whether the journey has been completed. You can stop there. 
it just isn't the final chapter of the journey. And this kind of new age speak that some of us have, like, you know, if you're having trouble, just change your attitude. You can do that. You can change your attitude. You get very good at it, I'm sure, over time. It's just that that's, again, a behavior modification. If this is coming up, I make at least, and then I change my disposition to life and, and, and move it, move it forward. So it's important to see that adaptation, what we're doing is applying adaptation. Now let's look a little closer at what we're really doing when we're turning the dials, trying to make our attitudes adjustable, trying to make our inward life coordinated with external events. What we're actually doing is changing the narrative of our, of our storyline. We're talking to ourselves and convincing ourselves that things can be different if we just release certain tensions in our body and we sort of talk ourselves down from the reactions that we normally have with events or weather or people or whatever might be occurring. And we can get so that that chatter kind of becomes our focus for meditation change, for meditation movement. And we look at ourselves and we see, you know, we have a handle on what we see. We see that we are uh, lost in this particular emotion and we start talking to ourselves about the emotion and where the emotion has come from and just being able to sit with it and see it as, as non-self and all of that, which is, again, within everybody's adaptive journey, but it's still adaptation. Again, most teachings stop at adaptation. And your journey can stop at adaptation as well. You haven't violated some principle. You've just decided that that's all the farther you want to go. And you've probably brought a pretty good convincing nirvana to bear upon your life that as much as you would like to say it's true, it's really false. The problem with adaptation, if you begin to become subtly aware of manipulating your inward life to fit outward circumstances, is that it's very slow and tedious. It's not spontaneous. It's not natural. It's it has to do with inward monologuing yourself in the direction that you think you should go. And it often contains a lot of grief because what happens in adaptation, as I mentioned before, is that we're moving from a comfortable location where I was expecting it to be 70 degrees and now it's 85 to try to accommodate an 85 degree temperature. Anytime there's that kind of change and we use adaptation in order to adjust our inner responses to that change, you have a grief response. What's a grief response? At first you deny that it's 85. Oh, that thermometer must be wrong or that weather report must be because I'm sure it's going to be nice tomorrow. I planned a picnic for God's sake. We have guests all around. 
and it's supposed to rain. What am I going to do? See, well, I'm sure that we will find a place. It won't rain. There, 10% or 15 or 30% of all weather forecasts are. We will. We we verbally dispute the the truth, the reality, with our inward monologue. That's called denial. That's called not looking. That's called not seeing. So then it turns out that it's raining the next day. Now you've got a bunch of dials to change. You know, I've got to call people and cancel the picnic and all of that sort of thing. But then there is the disappointment of not being on picnic with good friends. And there's that disappointment if the stakes are high enough, like your life, because we could be talking about cancer instead of a picnic, now suddenly it changes into anger. Anger is, the, is a violent, uh, it's because this new reality has made us so vulnerable to the tumor that I can, I can no longer deny. I'm so vulnerable to it that the only way I can gain any kind of defense to that vulnerability of the tumor is to get vengeful about it. I can get vengeful at the physician, I can get angry at the fact that my life is out of control, but anger puts me back into control. And adaptation, as I re remind you all, always has us turning the dials. Or then I can bargain my way, I can compromise it. You see, okay, well, it's not, it's raining this Sunday, but maybe tomorrow it won't. So we'll rearrange the picnic to have me tomorrow instead. And then the next day it rains again, it rains for one week. You see, and it just keeps, it's just, you can feel the longevity of the adaptive response. You can feel the, the it's tiresome and it's protracted. And it just wears you out. And we, but we don't see that as suffering. We think we're applying the remedies to su stop suffering by applying the remedy of suffering in order to stop. Because throughout the adaptation process, I'm suffering. But I'm thinking that I have to go through this adaptation in order to get to the place where I don't suffer. Something's wrong there. This is a journey from suffering to the end of suffering. I shouldn't have to bear through it. I should be able to end it. Okay, so this is a key component now to the movement from adaptation to surrender, is the realization of what I just said. That this is not a protracted willingness to suffer, tight-lipped, in order to get to the place where I no longer suffer. Suffering itself is instantaneously resolved. That's the Buddha's message. What? That throws adaptation out. Doesn't mean it's wrong, it's just that you have now born witness 
to the fact that it's limited, that it carries suffering along with it, that it's tiresome, it's protracted, that it's fatigue, fatiguing, that it's manipulation, that it's behavior modification. All of it, in the end, has made and improved your life, There's, have improved your life so that you're living better, living with less stress. I'm not suggesting that it doesn't have its benefits. It's just not complete. So now we are willing to move beyond adaptation. But the willingness to move beyond adaptation is the willingness to move beyond self-centered living. And this is where the counter-influence comes in. Because in adaptation, I'm front and center. It's my will and volition and need to keep in touch and watch my mind to see what needs to happen and what thoughts I need to discard and what emotions I need to be watchful of and all of the way that I have my face pressed against the looking glass of my life in order to catch the first symptoms of distress in myself. Now we move to a different way. This, this is a huge step and there will only be a few people who take it. I have now resigned to that fact after 40 years. But there are a few. There are a few of you who will say, you know, what's this whole thing about if not to extend myself to the farthest reaches of this scale, to move beyond all myself imposed limitations. Not the limitations of having a body or having a mind, those are given, but the self-imposed limitations. What's left now, you see? This is asking for a deeper challenge than I've ever wanted to offer life. I liked it when I was in control. It gave me a sense of accomplishment of self-fulfillment in some way. So I'm not suggesting this is an easy transition. I'm suggesting it's possible. So what happens now? Well, the first thing is that it's not based on comfort. Isn't that amazing? You see, always before, the adaptations were arranging our life in a more comfortable way. Even though we here move towards the discomfort, we ain't moving towards the discomfort. Don't ask me to move towards the discomfort, not unless you can show me that moving towards that will make me more comfortable, then I'm willing to do it. I don't know. You see, so, well, if it's not based on comfort, what's it based on? What, 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 why would I even move? 
It's based upon the love of the truth. That's what it's based on. And that's a deeper, richer deposit. The ore. That's the mother load of our life. It's not comfort. Comfort is the moving of a amoeba from electrical field to one that's not, or from warm water to... That's what comfort is. It's cellular, instinctual, but not freeing. This isn't based on comfort. And when we see something and have come to the end of that and we realize that there's nothing more I can do to make this worthwhile, there's nothing more I can do to make life feel beneficial in a spiritual sense by adapting myself towards, towards it. I can't, I've come to the end of my ability to adapt myself along in this journey. I have nowhere to go. I can't do it. I see that now I'm powerless. Okay, the key word there is powerless because now you have, are willing to see whether there's other powers available than your own. Let me show you that life has its own power. It has its own movement. Stars are being birthed in galaxies and galaxies are crashing into each other and the whole thing is expanding and there are black holes and universes are dying and being reborn. This really has nothing to do with your will. <laughs> So too, that power, that movement of life of itself has to be acknowledged in our spiritual journey. That we too are as vast as these billions of galaxies and stars within those galaxies. And the acknowledgement of us being a part of not contrary to or in contrast of is faith. It's the not faith in a god or a guru, but faith in the fact that we are not alone and we're never alone. And to release the need to pretend as if we were. So what we surrender is our separation. We surrender the need to be separate and come into life as a unit, as a one thing, not as a one thing trying to control the other thing. And that point, that marker, that counter influence, when I realize that I am powerless to move myself along, leaves us only one possible mental response to events and that's surrender.
not surrender to God or guru, surrender to circumstances. Because we see, we've tried it, we tried the other way. You're not going to surrender to circumstances until you're completely fed up with trying to adapt to circumstances. And then you will surrender. We will all surrender to them. So in each of our practices, if we don't feel ready for that release, Start looking at how you're thinking and working your life through adaptation. How you meet adaptation with subtle forms and changes in the narrative of your life. New storytelling. Because surrender is the absence of a narrative about the circumstance. Surrender doesn't have a monologue going on about what is occurring. That's what we surrender. Adaptation always has a dialogue going on about how it's going to change, how it needs to change, the process in which it has to invest in order to change, and all the circumstances in this prolonged event of changing. Surrender is undivided. It's not one thing pitted against the other in dialogue. It's simply releasing the need to feel disconnected. Now we've journeyed to the right side of the continuum. What did it take from us? It didn't take pressure and force. It took wisdom. When wisdom meets an obstruction, it surrenders. When adaptation meets an obstruction, it resists. All it took was the willingness to meet life on its terms, rather to misconstrue our need as more important than the actual fact of what is taking place. You see, all of this chatter that we do and prolong, you know, all this drama, all the drama, is surface tension. It's to keep us formed, to keep us opinionated, to keep us reactive, to keep us separate. The journey into the heart looks very different than that. Thank you all. Can we sit for a minute or two?
So a quick exercise in terms of the difference between those two is just listen to the chatter of your internal world, the chatter of the mind, the voice in your head, and how you relate to it in this moment, right? Is there a pushback? Is there like, okay, I've got to get some space to this? Is there some sense of arranging one's practice so it has a better orientation to that voice? Because the awareness that is the surrendered is what we surrender into. When you surrender out of the noise, what catches the fall is what hears the voice. And that doesn't take adjustments. It just takes a willingness. Okay, if there are any questions or comments, I'd be happy to... So the important point that on, this, on these continua that we will be talking about, just get a sense of where you are, but not with a sense of judgment or a sense of, of something's wrong, that I'm not moving further to the right. Just get a sense of where you are on it. Because if you add any pressure to yourself, you're actually moving the opposite direction of the way you want to go. It's rather to say, okay, so I get a sense of what I'm able to surrender and what I'm not, or even that I understand surrender at all. I certainly understand adaptation. I haven't played it out completely so that it still feels like a valid theme for me to do. So, I, you know, so doing some of that positive thinking and attitude adjustment and all of that sort of thing, that may have a place to play within your life until you find that it doesn't really bring you any closer to life. It makes you more adept at being able to handle life, but it doesn't bring you any closer to it. That's a crucial difference. And you, the yearning of your heart is really not being adept at life so that you get by with fewer bruises. It's being able to recover the distance that you have interceded between yourself and life, that you have inserted between you and your life. It's the recovery of the, of the, of the unity. That's what is the yearning that many of us feel in relationship to our spiritual quest. So any questions? Yeah. 
It's a good question. Thank you for that. The question has to do with the example I used of the rainy day picnic, whether surrendering to all of the different responses that you have, so that you just acknowledge that you're feeling disappointed, that you acknowledge that you're angry, you acknowledge that you're, that, okay, so that's moving very close to surrender, but it's still an adaptation because there's still a monologue or a dialogue that's going on in there that's very slight, but it's, it's okay, when I say this, I do not mean, again, to be disapproving of it. In fact, I'm very encouraging of it because there's a systematic way that most people go through their minds to come out the other side. And we're all on this journey of these continua, right? And this, so it all looks very similar. So the, the way I don't want it to, to be depicted is Oh, I made another mistake about it, you know, and I've got to... But let me, so let me, let me take and credit you with that, with that. But also, as you're, what's happening, you know, is that you're disappointed and then you realize you're disappointed and then you decide that you have to surrender to being disappointed, so you're, now you're aware of your disappointment, right? So there's a lot of, right, there's a lot of adjustments going on in there. Okay, so that is how most people's practice unfolds. There is also a way in which seeing is continuous and that those incremental adjustments are all perceived as they are occurring. It may not stop them from occurring, but the perception is continuous of their occurring. That means that at the same time that awareness is, what's arising within us may catch us up from time to time, right? And so you go, okay, whoa, I got really caught up in that one. And for most of the practice for a long period of time, that's the way that the next step after what you just mentioned, surrender occurs. And then there'll be a time when awareness is never disturbed so that it's never separated out in order for me to have to recover myself and then, right? So that, that then becomes a, the next step within that maturity. It's not that far away from what you said. What's helpful is if you see the limitations of what you're doing, right? That God, you know, I still am getting involved in there. There's still me, and I'm still in, trying to be in control, and then I'm trying to get... So you, you look at all of the different activities that you're doing in order to get to the place of not suffering with it. And ask yourself very sincerely if there's... if all of that's necessary. Is it necessary? That's a good question, isn't it? That's a good... Where's the awareness now? Not after a prolonged series of events, but where is it now? Yes. You were uh, not doing this adaptive stuff and um, surrendering to something, but you still have emotions. <laughs> Everybody's afraid of becoming like Frankenstein. <laughs> question is if you're if you're not adapting do you still have emotions 
I have never lived without them. <laughs> I'm not going to claim to be anywhere other than where I am. But to me, what comes out of the what comes up in your consciousness is cosmically created. It's not individually created. This is the cosmos arising within you. An emotion isn't something you're doing to yourself. It's coming out of emptiness. So I don't see a time when emotions aren't going to be relevant. That's what a human being with a mind and a body and a brain and an organism does. It emotes, it feels, if there's thinking. It's not, none of that's out of place, right? It's where we have identified and lost our place within that particular description of events. That's, the, that's what has to be seen through. So you can, be, you can be safe in knowing that you're not going to have to give up your humanness in order to awaken. Because who would want it? I don't want to become some, I mean, the way the mind projects that is to become some unfeeling, uncaring, you know, ugh, right? No, no. It's just the opposite. The more you surrender, the closer to life you come because what you're surrendering is your distance. The closer to life you become, the more affected you become by the lack of that distance, right? And the more alive you become because you're not holding yourself in abeyance to that vitality. Okay? So that's, yes, in the back. In, in inconvenience moments? I'm sorry, you were talking in the last question, in the question before, you mentioned awareness as happening almost instantaneous. We're not. Where right. All these yes. Yes. So you still have self talk, if you will, or there's still an internal dialogue, or is that not so present? Uh, very good question. Thank you. Uh, the qu question is about uh, with awareness sort of w when surrender becomes the, the, the response of choice is there still an internal monologuing and 99% of that goes away of the <laughs> all of it <laughs> throw it all in the trash no the 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 monologuing, the, the internal, the mind chatter goes away. Why do you need it? You ever have a thought that you didn't know? That's a good place to start. I already knew that. <laughs> okay, so, so in some ways it's repetitive. But another way is that we're missing the point of some larger field in which it's arising from. Because when the thought does, is it energetically pulls us into the words that it is speaking. And so we, don't, we see the world from those words only. So it's like having a, 
red glasses on, you see. But we miss the field in which those words are arising. The field is the awareness. The field is the awareness. And what we're learning to do in any spiritual journey, in any continuum, is to begin to invest less in the words that keep us confiscated to the details and specifics and forms and begin to see what's where and what those words are arising within. The awareness. That awareness at first, and this is another continuum, from mindfulness to awareness would be a continuum. We start in the beginning thinking of it in terms of a self volition. You know, I will be mindful of my hand. And it ends up taking over our life as something that's completely out of control and has always been there and is waiting for us to surrender to it and allow it to have its own say. Last question, yes. In the what? In the unified mind. Good. I like that. Thank you. Is surrender dwelling in the unified mind? She, she's bringing in the last talk into this one, which they should all match, shouldn't they? Okay, the divided mind is the mind lost in dialogue, where it's one half of the mind is judging the other half, the, right? The, the data, right? Yeah. And that, that's exactly right. You can feel it, right? And so the adaptive mind is in contention. It's trying to adjust so that reality doesn't hit, right? The unified mind has no tension and therefore no dialogue that separates it. And therefore it is embedded within awareness and only knows the way of awareness, which is the surrender, the way of surrender. Surrender sounds like something you're trying to do, but surrender is just living in awareness. That's really all it is. Does that make sense? Good. Okay. So thank you all this evening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.